0: to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vandor, the I, and I Think You're Interesting. I sometimes, when I go to advanced movie screenings, I try to convince my wife to go with me. Uh, she is not someone who, when she gets home from work at the end of the day, she wants to sit at home and enjoy the luxurious comforts of our apartment and our cats surrounding her. But there's one movie that I, I got her to go see and I'm bringing her up because if she was here, if she was sitting at this mic right to my, to my right, she would be she would be like yelling at you about how you need to go see it. And the movie is called Blockers. It's coming out this Friday. It's a comedy about three parents trying to stop their teenage daughters from having sex. And hold on. I hear you saying that is a retrograde sexist attitude. But one of the reasons the movie works, one of the reasons it doesn't descend into retrograde sexism is thanks to its director, the wonderful Kay Cannon, who has worked on some of your favorite TV shows. She worked on 30 Rock. She worked on New Girl. Uh, I loved a show she worked on called Cristela, which you may not have heard of, but it was great. You also may know her because she wrote the screenplay for Pitch Perfect. So she's making her directorial debut with blockers. She turns it from a movie that like sounds like it's going to be really terrible and makes it into like this interesting thoughtful movie about like double standards we apply to teenagers and what it means to be a parent and what it means to be afraid of like your kid growing up and going off without you. It's a really really interesting movie and a really funny movie and there's also a lot of gross out gags in there. So I wanted to have Kay and I didn't just want to talk about this movie. I wanted to talk about like why it's so rare to see stories about teenage girls coming of age in big screen comedy. So we talked about her favorite stories about teenage girls in big screen movies and uh, you can probably guess some of them that are on there but maybe you won't. And we also talked about like making the move to direct a big movie, and I think you're really going to like it. She's a lot of fun, and we went actually a lot deeper than you might expect for somebody who directed a raunchy teen sex comedy. So stick around. It's going to be fun. My guest today is Kay Cannon, director of the new film Blockers. Kay, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You hear the premise of this movie, which in case you haven't heard it, listeners, I'll explain to you, is uh, that three parents of three teenage girls on prom night are like uh, we don't want them to have sex and then sort of stalk them. Let's say Mm -hmm. (laughs) stalk them throughout the evening. Uh, So when you hear that premise, you think, Oh, well that's kind of retrograde. That's kind of sexist. And like what you may not realize from just hearing that is that like the movie is kind of about that idea. And I'm wondering like how you navigated that, that hurdle of like, inherently this idea is kind of funny but at the same time like you want to point out yeah but it's also kind of terrible you know
1: yeah (laughs) how do you make it not terrible yeah Uh, (laughs) look when I got the script I thought the script was super funny but I did feel like the daughters didn't have enough it felt more maybe the old school version of just like parents being really funny and losing their minds and being crazy but I wanted to tell this underserved story from the female perspective and so by beefing up that side and then also like exploring every single avenue of like the double standard and having different moms having different takes on it I think that's where we sort of fell into themes that were important to me and are important to all ladies and where it started to just to feel fresh and new and modern. I I just wanted to like explore all those things Mm -hmm. and have you laughing and having something as stupid and it is stupid as butt chugging. No one try it. No one do it. Uh, And in the same movie where you, where you talked about like, Hopefully not being too preachy, these, like, issues that are important to us ladies.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's the thing I've been thinking about is you've been screening the movie a lot. Like, I've seen a lot of people talking about it on Twitter and and the social medias. uh, (laughs) and, And sort of saying, like, you know, wow, this was not what I expected or whatever. And, like, when you're selling the movie, like... You can't sell a scene of characters earnestly discussing teenage sexuality and like why there's a double standard for boys and girls because that's not going to play in a trailer.
1: Right, Um, exactly. So, how
0: did you walk that line? Obviously, you are not the head of marketing. No, but it's a dance for the marketing team. You
1: know, Mm -hmm. like when you talk about girls or young women in rated R comedies like society will be like oh it's a soft movie or it's a soft R. The marketing team was like we need to let people know that this is actually a hard R and so let's show all the things that gets that R rated audience there and then the movie kind of speaks for itself so would get a bunch of people to watch the movie <laughs> yeah. and then they start talking about it. I'm glad that it's a surprise to people. There were times where I would you know, talk to marketing and just to make sure like, that we get a line of Marcy's like how can we treat girls as equals when their own parents don't so that people aren't just immediately jumping on this social media bandwagon of like what a terrible movie to be putting out right now and that they're just trying to control the girls' bodies. So I wanted to like put in a couple of different things that would show that we're going to do something different. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, But then just butt chugging just like trumps it all. And then they just don't see that part. (laughs) They have to really go and see the movie.
0: This is your uh, big screen directorial. debut, And there's a lot of gross out slapstick, that stuff in it. And there's kind of two schools of thought. You just sort of are like, okay, this is a gross thing that's happening. We're going to let you see it all and like admire the physicality of the actors doing the slapstick. And the other thing is you kind of cut so that you're like getting the absolute emphasis of like what's happening and i'm wondering how you as you approach like blocking out those sequences yeah like the butt chugging let's say like well, how did you approach the the challenge of we want to make this as maximally funny as we can visually you know
1: yeah I, I i tried to be as tight as possible if it didn't kill if the joke didn't kill i didn't use it like i tried to make make every set piece you know as tight as possible so that you're laughing and you're almost missing jokes from the, from laughing you know i've never done rated r before yeah. and i working with point gray was great because they do rated r comedies better than anybody there were moments where I was like clutching my pearls <laughs> or like looking around and, and being like, am I am, I'm the one directing this moment. There were tons of rewrites and I, and I was constantly just trying to make it as funny as possible and as truthful as possible. So even though it's like crazy and weird and raunchy, I'll give you another example is the, the kids throw up in the limo. Mm-hmm. There was like a whole scene involved. It was like really a lot of, Puke, yeah. and then I previewed the movie a lot, and people are just like, we just don't, you know, want to see that much. It's too much puke. Yeah, so that took a long time to sort of figure out, and then I saw Baby Driver. And I was <laughs> like, I'm gonna put their puke to music, because <laughs> uh, that was awesome, and I yeah. love that, and so I did. And then it became just comedic and
0: tight and quick. So that's a that's kind of an interesting thing because like there is this. It's a cultural assumption I grew up with. I don't know how present it is now because I don't have kids. But, like, oh, okay. this idea that, like, little girls aren't to be gross or teenage uh-huh. girls aren't to be gross and raunch. But, like, being gross and raunchy is part of human experience. Like, did you encounter that as you were trying to get this movie made or was that, like, uh, a Yeah, I mean,
1: it wasn't I, – I feel like I can only kind of remember, like, <laughs> on the B side, like, once I was in post. But there would be – conversations or I'd get notes to like, let's lose this line. It's a little too far for her to say it. I was say, like, really? Because you'd, you'd see like tons of guy characters right. talk about whatever, you know, because they were so great. Like I, all these producers and the studio execs that were all dudes that like, they were very respectful of me and they, they trusted me and I could just like on the phone, like hear them like, oh, no, but I, I don't. <laughs> and then ultimately what you had to do is just like show in front of an audience and if it gets a huge laugh, it stays in. Yeah. Um. And so they uh, they allowed me to be able to have that ex- you know experimentation. Um. And then I I would say and maybe this is just like you know means that I'm really gross and raunchy and vulgar, but like I think that uh, half the stuff that comes out of their mouth doesn't isn't shocking to me, mm-hmm. and maybe that's because I'm a woman and who grew up like with talking to my girlfriends and that's how we talked and we just haven't seen it enough. You know, so it's it's foreign to the older generation or the you know the parents or whatever that that girls talk like that. they like the conversation in the cafeteria, for yeah. example. You, you know, like her saying that you know penises are like plungers. They're, you know, like, like it's not that gross to me. I,
0: I met my wife when she was uh, seventeen and she was like the grossest person I knew. So <laughs> so I, I I believe you. I, I agree with you. What what do you think? Um, do you think <laughs> these sorts so of so funny.
1: <laughs> You're like, I'm going to marry you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. uh, What do you think that these sorts of movies, we haven't seen a lot of like teen sex comedies about teenage girls. What has been missed by not doing that, I guess is what I'm
1: saying. Yeah. I mean, it's such an underserved story. It's kind of crazy that there hasn't really been one. In a mainstream movie, like a big
0: studio movie,
1: quite like this, I don't think.
0: They're few and far between. They like really I would are. look. At, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they
1: really are. And I, I think that there's so few female directors. So like when you have the person in charge helming the story and that person is primarily a man and he's coming from his own experience, which I totally get. Like, I understand why they miss the mark when it comes to girls because they didn't have the same experience that i had you had your own personal experience and so that's what you end up showing when you do that and you primarily make it about the guys then the girls become objects of desire you know or they get boxed into being a very specific kind of girl that's from the male gaze i think that maybe there just hasn't been enough women in charge saying but this is my experience
0: so sometimes here on the show we do things where we ask our guests to list some of their favorites of certain things and I've asked you to come in with a list of your favorite coming of age stories about teenage girls and I thought you know we just sort of take them one by one talk about them and uh, see what happens and maybe I'll throw out some of mine
1: one of my favorite movies of all time and certainly John Hughes is a massive influence Mm -hmm. of me so The Breakfast Club is just one of my favorites
0: what do you like better? What? You like your old man better than your mom? They're both screwed. No, I mean, if you had to choose between them. I
1: don't know. Probably go
0: live with my brother. I mean, I don't think either one of them gives a shit about me. It's like they use me just to get back at each other. Ha! Shut up! You are just feeling sorry for yourself.
1: Yeah, well, if I didn't, nobody else would. Oh, you're I think it was heart. like 10 or something yeah. like that when it came out. So to see, like, Molly Ringwald and Ali Sheedy... I mean, I got my hair cut like Molly Ringwald, like, you know, like the angst or whatever, like just to like hear from their side and Mm -hmm. like her being the princess and Allie being the dark, you know, (laughs) um, brooding character who made a crazy sandwich (laughs) with chips. uh, blew my mind. (laughs) Also, like I'm from the Chicagoland area. So to see like them in a school. Right. My love for that movie is pretty strong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. John Hughes is such a seminal figure in like the annals of making stories about teens yeah um and yet everybody who sort of tried to imitate him like has fallen short what do you think it is that he does that is so hard to replicate
1: well i've watched a lot of interviews with him and Mm -hmm. like um to try to learn from him and he treats the kids like adults like he takes very serious their problems he got a lot of flack for a breakfast club because they were like why are you making the kids problems so like they're just whiny kids and they're talking about their parents they they don't even love their parents and his response was it's because they're talking about their parents that shows that they love them yeah and he he feels like the problems that you have when you're a teenager if not fixed if not discussed if mm. not taken serious come with you when you're an adult. Yeah. So he's like, why are we not exploring this? And and he really cared about that and cared about his own upbringing. Mm. And and I think that's why he's so successful. And it's certainly what I tried to do in this movie because I wanted to be like, this is how the girls really feel. This is what their, you know, real experience is. And I, I just want to show it as authentic as possible.
0: I think when a lot of people try to imitate John Hughes, they're kind of cynical about it. I think yeah. you have to have ultra sincerity. You do. I, I think because he's gotten so boiled down to like, you know, some of the the archetypes he used in different like the characters are all like very. Yeah. But that's because he was one of the first to really put them exactly. on Exactly.
1: Exactly. They had never seen anything quite like that. He did a lot of rewriting and a lot of improvising, and a lot of changing in the moment. Mm-hmm. But he wrote like his first draft of Breakfast Club. Uh, in a weekend and we did the same thing with Ferris Bueller which is amazing I'll never be able to do that ever (laughs) 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 I think he was just so special and he was the first one to do it and I don't don't think you can you can't we shouldn't try to imitate him we should just try to do our own thing but be inspired by him I think when you try to imitate him you're gonna fail
0: thinking about the women in that movie as you were growing up did you feel more attached to either Molly Ringwald or Ali Sheedy? Like which yeah. character really stood like out? Like I for
1: wanted you? to be Molly. Yeah. And you know, I I grew up in you know, in a small town with like, you know, my dad was an attorney, but he was self-employed, and so mm. we had some years with money and some years with nothing. You know. Like, yeah. And uh, and I'm the fifth of seven kids, so it was like real like a real struggle. So when I saw her. You know, with the nice clothes and the whatever, like I I really kind of wanted to be like her. (laughs) Um, But then another to another movie that I feel like is in the coming of age on on my list is Pretty in Pink. So like this was like the same woman playing this, you know, character who didn't have money, Mm -hmm. who was going to prom. I rewatched Pretty in Pink before shooting blockers because i loved how john hughes shot their prom yeah and i try i wanted to like make it like this beautiful kind of cool space and the fact that her character in pretty in pink was going through uh what she was going through like you know uh, and lived in this in chicago i I don't know there was a lot of things that what what
0: did what did you see about the way he shot the prom that you sort of carried over
1: i just thought his location was amazing like it Mm. was in this really big room that had this amazing mural. I, I I should look up exactly where it was because I think it's probably somewhere, like like a museum thing in yeah. the Chicago that I should know, <laughs> and the <laughs> dirtbag in me doesn't know. Um, <laughs> but like because he, again he treated he treats her and Andrew McCarthy like. Adults. In fact, the is it Eric Stoltz who's the
0: I think so. the yeah. bad
1: guy? Mm-hmm. It's like he's like in a like he looks like he's 25 years old. I mean, he's smoking cigarettes like in the school and yeah. like outside the school and he's like rich and everything. So he he just shot it like it was like a beautiful location and then it was a super cool look of all the um the kids.
0: Yeah. This may surprise our listeners at home, but neither of us is a teenager. So like uh-huh. what, what yeah. did you have to research? What did you have to get right about? I mean, I look teens? like
1: one still. <laughs> um, no.
0: <laughs> so do I
1: <laughs> If I, you know, wear my hair a certain <laughs> way and like put on a baseball cap.
0: There are certain things about being a teenager that are always true. Like you're always, you always feel like your problems are the worst in the world and nobody else's can compare, but like other stuff has changed.
1: Yeah. I wanted to make sure that they were talking about and in the way that they actually talk. Right. You know, like that the subjects they were talking about is what they're actually talking about, how they talk. I think social media has done this really interesting thing where I think teenagers talk like adults, and I think adults are talking more like teenagers. And so they're, we're sort of meeting in the middle. Yeah. Like they don't talk that different than. We do, (laughs) you know. Um, And so I think there's this thing of like, what is their secret language? The biggest difference is that they are all on their phones nonstop and they are talking through emojis and they do have secret codes and they do have secret like Instagram pages. And so that was really enlightening where it was like, I mean, we were going to school. I'm older than you, but I think that like I didn't have a cell phone until my. So I was like 28 years old <laughs> or something like that. That's not true. I was probably a little bit younger, but like
0: <laughs> I I remember that our first cell phone was it had to stay in our car. So I had to like go out uh-huh. and like use it in the car if I wanted to call somebody. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have written stuff featuring like teenage characters when I grew up and I was like, "Oh uh-huh. wait, they didn't have texting back then." Yeah. And like that's such a big thing. It was like instantaneous communication all right. of the time yeah you
1: know? that any movie made in the last five years doesn't have every single person regardless if it's an action movie whatever yeah. on their phone non-stop it's <laughs> like I'm like this is not true this is not real yeah <laughs> and I wanted you know like uh Catherine Newton who plays Julie like she's kind of like she's the one who's obsessed with taking photos like taking selfies non-stop it's not like a story point but it, we, I just wanted to show mm-hmm. that person who's always like let's take a picture, let's take a picture, let's take a picture.
0: I want to flip this around a little bit uh to talk about the underserved teenage boys audience. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but like, how did you approach... So you're talking about flipping the object of desire. Yeah. So how did you approach making the teenage guy characters? They all get like an arc. And yeah. they all sort of get like... You get the sense that you have... A, like you and the writers have affection for them, even if yeah. they're not the subject of this movie. So how did you approach doing that?
1: Well, you know, I... I I didn't want to approach it like, I'm going to tell it from the girl's perspective, and I'm going to give no time to the guys (laughs) the same way that we haven't gotten time. (laughs) I wanted the audience to be unclear of who to root for. Mm -hmm. Connor did the biggest change, his character. When I first got the script, Connor was just a jerk, like just a bad guy. And that the audience knew he was bad, and you'd be like, Mitchell, please stop you know, this from happening because Kayla's with a bad guy. Right. And in the writing process, it was like, well, no, like I want to, I want the audience to not know who to root for. So yes, he's bad in that he gives drugs to Kayla. You know, so you want Mitchell to stop it because... He's a, the drug guy, but then when you see him talking with her, they really like each other, and mm-hmm. or they, they get along, and they have good chemistry, and he's like a sweet guy, and he's respectful of her. So I didn't want the guys to all be horn dogs who are just trying to get laid.
0: What have you learned from great TV comedy that you can apply to making great movie comedy?
1: I learned how to write very fast. Specifically working at 30 Rock, I learned how to write fast and maybe like a higher level in terms of jokes and joke structure like I really felt like I went to grad school like the grad school of comedy writing by working at 30 Rock so I also feel like I learned how to story break and to fix problems like on the fly and then what's been really helpful working for television and applying it to film is the scene at the end with the three parents at the bar It wasn't working. We tried to make it work in rehearsal and we were restructuring it, you know, because Ike Barinholtz is a writer and a great improviser and John and Leslie, they're all three amazing. Yeah. And so we were trying to work it out. They went to hair and makeup and I rewrote the scene and gave them a brand new scene while in hair and makeup. And then we rehearsed that new scene when they came back. So that that's what makes it so helpful being a writer from television because film can get so drawn out and, you know, but I, if I kept it at the pace that I was used to for TV, that just made it that much stronger. And we had writers on set who were TV writers Mm. who were, uh, you know, like pitching jokes and rewriting scenes and all that kind of stuff too. So they, they had the same mentality.
0: What was your path to, to 30 rock? How did you sort of land there?
1: I was uh, auditioning a lot as an actor and um, not getting things. And I had tested for Saturday Night Live. Mm. And I did not get it, as you might well be aware. And uh, I, I tested the year that Kristen Wiig got it. <laughs> 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 so I lost out to like the best person to ever do it. And so I started writing for myself because I didn't feel like when I'd go into an audition that I was going to be like, they'd be like, you, Kay, you're yeah. the only one who can fit that part. So I had to show them what I could do. Started writing for myself. Was doing a sketch show called Camp Hot with two of my girlfriends. We were the hottest girls in camp, but we we're the only girls in camp, so we're <laughs> Camp Hot. Uh, and uh, as that was going on, I was just friends with Tina, yeah. Faye. And when I started writing, she was like, "Hey, can I, you know, read any stuff you wrote or whatever?" And and I didn't think of it like, I'm giving my material to Tina Fey. I was just like, oh, I'm giving it to my friend. Yeah, 30 Rock wasn't a thing yet. And um, she read it and she liked it. And then when 30 Rock became a thing, she was like, you know, I think she wanted a friend in the room. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember after I had like gone through meetings and stuff like that and there was a potential of me being hired to 30 Rock that she called me and said, I think that the show will only last a year. She thought it was going to be 13 episodes and done. And she's like, will you be um, okay not performing for a year? Because I was a performer, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was acting and stuff and blah, blah, blah. But at that point, I had been without a job for a long time and I I was desperate. And I was like, of course. Yes, Mm -hmm. I have no problems not uh, not performing. And then she said, well, we're friends. If this doesn't work out and I have to fire you will we still be friends like i want to make sure that we will and um i was like i look forward to the day you fire me (laughs) and (laughs) then i got hired uh, as a staff writer on that show and along with donald glover Oh, okay and so the two of us like shared an office together and he was still an ra at nyu or yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: donald glover and tina fey i think are two of the best pure joke writers Uh just like they're so good at tina fey especially you can tell like where, like, she's tweaked a word in a joke to make it even funnier. Just uh-huh. like, and I'm so in awe of that. What did you learn about writing just a pure joke from working with Tina?
1: Oh, yeah. And, and I, I'd have to add Robert Carlock oh, yeah, yeah, uh, and, yeah. into yeah. that because Robert Robert is really, like, he's a genius. I mean, yeah. he's just, he's so, so good. But there was one time, when first year... I didn't even realize how much I didn't know, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> like because when you first start working there, you're just sitting around and talking about your life, like yeah. you're te- so that you come up with stories. I was like, I can do this all day. <laughs> like, uh, this is great. And then when you have to actually write, it's like, oh, yeah, this is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had uh, Robert and a couple of us. There was a script up on the screen. And we, we we would sit on a joke like Robert would have us sit on a joke for like an hour or an yeah. hour and a half just one line one joke like we just pitching 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 and trying to make it perfect or like the funniest version of it or whatever and we were really struggling on this one Tina comes in mm-hmm. looks up at the screen pitches the joke <laughs> that goes in and leaves <laughs> and I was like oh my god <laughs> what now she of course has had. She had nine years yeah. of having to do that for Saturday Night Live where you have to, you know, you're on a deadline and you have to, she's an amazing joke writer. Yeah. She had, like, she flexed that muscle. She did her 10,000 hours, you know. But I went to her and I was like, and I brought that story up. And then she got me uh, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. Mm. The idea of Bird by Bird is that, like, there is like, a, a story of her and her, Anne Lamott and her son. Where there's a bunch of birds in, the, in a tree and they're overwhelmed by all the birds. and. Right. The lesson is that just go one bird at a time, so yeah. you don't get so overwhelmed, and and you'll appreciate that that those birds. And so that is a mantra I've used since, and and with directing too. It's like just stay in the moment, every joke. Every line, every moment, this scene—like, don't think of the big picture; you'll go crazy. Yeah, just go bird by bird.
0: So, uh, not not to pull us back to the list, yeah. but uh, what are some? What are some other? We've talked about uh, Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink. What's yeah, another? well,
1: I mean, like, I, I I'm almost embarrassed that that it's been. So recent, but I thought Lady Bird was amazing. <laughs> Lady Bird,
0: when I was thinking about this one, I was like, uh, if I was going to make a list, I think Lady Bird would be on there. And like, yeah, it came out, you know, six months ago. Yeah. It's so brilliant. It's so good.
1: Yeah. And because I, I I don't think there are too many coming of age, like, yeah. you know, teenage girl stories. So like right. that's why it really resonated with a lot of people, because it was like, oh, it was really an accurate depiction of how you're Fighting with your mom, yeah. and then she picks up a dress and is like, "Oh, that's cute. Oh, yeah, it's totally cute." Like that. I mean, I, I I've lived that. Like I've done that with my, you know, with my own mom.
0: Every woman I've talked to about that movie who has some sort of relationship with their mother, like they feel it nailed their relationship with their mother, and yeah. like that's fascinating to me because these are women with vastly different experiences with mm-hmm. their own moms, from good, very good to very bad, and like that's amazing to me how that movie did that.
1: I mean I am I am so close to my mom. We are, you know, I am my mother's daughter and we are we are tight tight tight. But from that from 14 to 17, <laughs> you know, it's like the hormones, the whatever, but there's conflict. Mm-hmm. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. The deal is you fight with your mom then, and then when you're older and you become a mom, or you're, or you don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to. You look back so fondly at what your mom did for you, or at least in my case, you, yeah. you know, you uh, you do, and then you have such a greater appreciation, and the love becomes so strong, yeah. and so tight. I mean, like clearly, Tanya Harding would have a different uh, feeling. But
0: <laughs> do you remember? And, or can you talk about your biggest fight with your mom?
1: But I remember a big uh, fight like when I was a little bit old, when I was in my 20s. Yeah. Can I talk about that one? Yeah, or, go for it. Okay. Well, this is because my mom is Catholic and she is pro life. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever.
0: So is my uh, mom. So, yeah.
1: So I don't you remember Terry Shivo with them. Um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. We got into a massive, massive fight over the. I just moved to LA. I'm on the phone with her where she was like, if they allow them to kill Terry Schiavo, you know, it's kind of like something that George Bush had said or whatever, and then, like, maybe in the Catholic Church there might have been, like, some conversations about this, you know, it's, like, Nazi Germany all over again, like, this was after, like, us fighting for a long time, like, she had had really raised her voice, because my mom and I do this really fun thing, actually, which is we argue for, like, 45 minutes pretty intensely about a topic. Mm -hmm and then we shake hands and we're like we agree to disagree and then we're like laughing and having fun and doing whatever you know um, but when she said the nazi germany thing i was like i will not allow you to like talk like a dummy yeah. <laughs> like, you know like like i i can you know handle some differences of opinions and like she was raised differently and blah 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 but i won't have her like saying something that's straight up stupid and just not correct, you know and so we hung up we, had to, we were screaming at each other we hung up she called me ten minutes later and with a calm voice and said, "I am so sorry, you're right. Yeah. like that wasn't the right thing for me to say, and it is something that I was repeating mm. and you know like i I didn't mean to upset us that way. I, I thought that was really great, yeah of of her to do that
0: well, my biggest fight with my mom was about how I didn't want to. Practice the piano. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Like through my whole childhood, I was like this, like really promising piano player. And then uh-huh. I hit fifteen, and I was like, "No, I'm not gonna do that anymore." So like, I stopped. And then like, she was like, "Well, you can still practice." I was like, "No." And then we had to a fight about it. <laughs> so I was a sullen teenager. Do you regret it? Uh, I I picked it back up, and then I went to college as a piano performance major, oh, cool. and uh, did it for about a semester. And was like, everybody here is better than me. I'm gonna do something else. <laughs> So, yeah, that was that's that's the story of me and the piano. But I, I still, every time I go home, they they have me play it. And like, my parents are the only people on earth who are sad their son didn't become a musician. Like they're right, really right. broken. I'm like, the writing is going well, guys. And they're like, yeah, but the piano. It was. <laughs> um, do you have another uh, coming of age story you like?
1: Mean Girls, yeah. Mean Girls, would you, yeah. Would you... wonderful? Yeah. yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: What's your uh, What's your favorite Mean Girls gag? because there's so many good lines in that movie. Yeah,
1: I mean, like, trying to make fetch happen yeah. is great. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Like, Tina's writing was so awesome and so in her voice, because you hadn't seen that before, with, like, trying to make a phrase happen. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I, I, I Have you, can you think of anything? where no, It's no. sort of like, again, it was, like, showing how girls operate or what they think or, you know, put, you know, I know it's based off of a book, but just like putting them in different categories and clumps and whatever. And then like showing like Lindsay Lohan's character being really, you know, like this real girl. Yeah. And getting caught up in all of it. Uh, I thought that was really great.
0: The genius of that movie is taking this scholarly nonfiction book and making it an entertaining. Yeah. With no
1: narrative. Teen it's, comedy. Yeah, there's yeah. no
0: narrative in that yeah. book. It's, uh, and now it's a musical or something. Yes, a... I'm
1: going to see it next week. <laughs> oh, yeah? Are yeah. you excited? Yeah. 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 So excited. Yeah.
0: I, I always am amazed at how strong the characterization is in that movie. Again, I think with that we wrongly think of teen comedy as being based entirely in archetypes because there's so many like the nerd, the jock, the whatever, yeah. and like that's a movie that does that. But because of Breakfast Club, yeah, <laughs> sh- because of Breakfast Club. But then shows like the humanity underneath all of that, and that's such a tricky thing to do. Yeah. Like, um, like what's your what's, what's your approach to um, learning to deepen and humanize characters when they're maybe a little one note?
1: I sort of define the one note Mm -hmm. and then say like how can we flip it like whatever the trope is even if it's like a character trope or you know archetype or whatever I say okay what have people not seen before yeah and then sit there and just try to bang my head trying to think of what they haven't seen before I feel like Connor is like a really specific example of that sure just like you know you 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 think it's going to be like you know he originally was just this like Bad guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, well let's give him some nuance. Like what haven't we seen? Like so little top knots are a thing, you know. So we gave him a top knot, and then it was like, Oh, like let's make him caring and you know, like and Miles Robbins brought a lot to that too. But that is just kind of like how I brainstorm is just mm-hmm. to go like, all right, this is what we've seen. We've seen this a bunch of times.
0: Well, let's see if we can do one more movie, make it an even five. And uh oh even see five. the list oh, is coming is out.
1: This is good. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I didn't say Bring It On. Go,
0: go, bring It go On. on. Go Great movie. Go, Tovers! Go, Tovers! Go, Go, go Our game is fierce and we are here so get on back. You can't touch this. Our game is bad, we're without peers. so get that weak man out of here. Try to steal our bit, but you look like shit, but we're the ones who are down with it. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah.
1: I just made Pitch Perfect the formula that bring it on was
0: Interesting. What did you take from Bring It On when you were writing?
1: Pitch well, Perfect? I I loved that movie because I felt like it was a sports movie mm-hmm. with with women yeah. uh, with young women and then it was also about race mm-hmm. uh, you know in that the white girl cheerleaders stolen the you know the black girl cheerleaders routine mm-hmm. so and and it was funny and they had their own language that's why pitch perfect has its own like akas in front of stuff i was like i want that that to have its own language yeah. but what i loved about bringing on more than anything was just seeing the number of leads yeah in that movie and they were all young women and they yeah. were all these like high school girls it's The same goes for mean girls you know it's like just see like just a like over five yeah <laughs> uh and they all had a specific game a specific that made them funny a worldview a comedy worldview that gave them jokes yeah. um and so that was that was really influential
0: to me i maintain uh, christian dunce is one of my favorites Mm-hmm. Uh, actresses and I maintain she was robbed of an Oscar nomination for that. I think <laughs> she's so good in that movie. It's a star making performance. It like, really is. Yeah, and like a part where probably you didn't need a star but like it yes. elevates the whole movie in yeah. such a fun and exciting <laughs> way. We talked a little bit earlier about what's different about teenagers, you know, the, the texting and all of that. Things that are mm-hmm. different now from when we were teenagers. But like yeah. what is eternally when you look at these movies, when you look at other stories about teens, what is eternally the same about being a teen?
1: Like you were talking about how everything is so dramatic and Mm -hmm. big. The reason it is is because everything is new. Yeah. And so they're not literally wide-eyed, but their life is wide-eyed, and every teenager is scared, Mm -hmm. and every teenager is trying to figure it out, and it's all new experiences. Yeah. And. That will that will never change, even if it's the new thing is, you know, the phone becomes something in their eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like if the devices and the technology changes around them, their feelings and wants and desires in this life will remain the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of coming into the end of the show. So I want to ask you, this was your directorial debut. What did you learn you could do you didn't know you could do from making this movie?
1: (laughs) I learned I could yell at anybody. (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, You know, it was a tough shoot. It was a lot of like like, it was a big script with a lot of storylines. And I the things I worried about when before yelling my first action weren't at all the things I ended up having to deal with or worry about. You know, like I, I was I was really worried because I, you know, I have such respect for people who go to film school and learn, you know, camera angles and lenses and, you know, like I was really worried I wouldn't know where to put the camera. Yeah. And I talked to Russ Alsobrook who I worked with that new girl who was my DP for the, for this movie and I told him, I was like, I'm. this is what I'm really good at. I'm really good at giving notes to actors. I was an actor myself. I, you know, like I'm I'm really good at writing. I'm good at you know like I'm blocking all that kind of stuff. I may not know where to put the camera. And he said to me, he goes, "That's so great that you let me know that because now that I know that, then he you know like he taught me. He like in the so by you know second or third week, it's like oh now I now I know it. Yeah. And he was like, you'll be amazed at those directors who think they know where to put the camera and don't realize the things that they don't know. Yeah. Um, so now I feel like I can direct anything. Mm-hmm. Meaning that I'm always going to work really hard at whatever it is it's put in front of me. And I had to, like I was saying, like I had to rewrite a scene on the fly and the scene turned out really nice, (laughs) you know, and so like I'm not worried about you can kind of throw anything at me now.
0: Well, we end every episode by asking our guests some of the same questions. Okay. So, I'm going to ask you a few of those, starting with what's the last like movie you saw, TV show you saw, book you read, just like the last pop culture thing you did, even if it was a song you listened to on the car over. What did you think sure. of
1: it? Sure. Um I saw Game Night a couple okay. days ago and I loved it. Yeah, I haven't mm-hmm. gotten
0: to that one yet, but I hear it's good. Yeah, it's, good. it's really
1: good. I thought it was really super funny mm-hmm. and I thought the storytelling was really interesting. Yeah. And um I thought it was shot really well. I thought the directors did a really nice shot.
0: Uh, the, my next question is, who's the writer that you've learned the most from that you've never met? They can be living or dead. Uh, John Hughes. John Hughes. I, yeah. I should have seen that yeah. coming. <laughs> 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 and, and then finally, what is, whether it's for the company you had with you or the food itself, what's the best meal you've ever had?
1: I was in Natuno, Italy. Okay. This is like, I don't know, like nine years ago now. And... I was there with uh, writer John Rigi, who wrote for 30 Rock and mm-hmm. is a director as well, and his husband, and they had an apartment on, in Netuno John's mother was like 84, 85 years old. Sure. She, f- she was born in Netuno Italy, oh, wow. okay. but then she, they, she lived in Ohio, and she had been having some heart stuff, but she always like comes to stay in Natuno for like six weeks, and so myself and uh, my friend Vicky were staying in their apartment with John and David and um his mom flew in mm-hmm. and that night she had a heart attack oh no and she dies hmm. while on this vacation okay. i mean i was in scrubs and like when she before she had passed away in the hospital whispering into her ear like you know we love you and i mean it was it was this crazy experience. She was the youngest of seven, six yeah. brothers. Um, and, you know, she's in her 80s. So, like, I had just met all of John's cousins that live in this small town sure. in Natuno. And they're all, like, in their, you know, range from, like, their 50s to whatever. And they, they have kids. And, and so... After she had passed, we were in one of the cousin's, like, uh, small houses yeah. with this long-ass table, and they had just gone to the market and bought all this food, and they made this big old dinner while we sat around and waited for, you know, like, to get yeah. to know what was going to happen with with Lena's services and all that kind of stuff. So, I didn't speak any Italian, still don't, uh, and... I'm eating this amazing meal, which is like mozzarella and asparagus and tomatoes, whatever. And and there's crying yeah. going on, as you can well imagine. One of the younger cousins comes in bawling her eyes out. In, in front of the whole family of like men w- w- and and th- sits down and I was like oh what, what's wrong what what happened and it's like she got a she got an abnormal pap smear test results back like I thought they were crying she was crying about like yeah. her g- great grandmother or whatever yeah. uh, passing away and so I was like this is crazy so like I was seeing all the crying and stuff and I remember just like the the mozzarella was melting in my mouth and I turned to my friend Vicky and I was like yeah sad to say I'm like this is the best thing I've ever had <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I know. It's like just eating so many green beans. It's like not even necessarily that they made some sort of pasta dish. It was just like really fresh, yeah, awesome food that wow. was in front of us.
0: Great, great. Well, the movie's called Blockers. It's in theaters <laughs> on Friday. It's very funny. You should go see it. Kay, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I Think You're Interesting is a beautiful, heartbreaking tale uh, of a young man's coming of age, and that young man is your host and executive producer, Todd Vanderwerf, the person speaking to you right now. My producer is Bridget Armstrong. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Mo and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishat Kirwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell, our logo design, thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulreg. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering and studio are thanks to P3 Post here in Hollywood, California. Our recording engineer this week was Shay brooks please rate review subscribe to the show uh on apple podcasts on stitcher on spotify wherever you find it it really helps people find the show thank you thank you for all the ratings that have been pouring in we really appreciate it if you have something you want to say that's uh not something you want to leave in a review you can email me at todd at vox.com. you can email the whole show at ity.podcast at vox.com it, e, dot, podcast at vox.com if you think somebody's interesting and you want to hear about them on the show like Never hurts to ask. You can tweet at me at tvoti. That's tvoti. We'll be back next week with somebody from the world of arts and entertainment, media and culture, somebody who I think is interesting. And until then, we didn't get butt chugging in every answer, but you know, we tried. We really did.